Hello, welcome back to the Early Education Show. We're here with episode 68. I'm Liam. I'm Lisa. And I'm Leanne. Lovely to be chatting with you all again. Lisa, I got to see you in person again this week. You had a lovely time in, in Canberra. Did you, you guys have what? us get together without asking me? Oh, sh- oops, sorry. Yes. <laughs> Didn't you tell her? <laughs> Leanne doesn't have you any leave what? left to be travelling to Canberra. <laughs> I hear we're all going to be in the same state together at some stage in the next few months. That's right. There's a bit of stuff coming. I know we talked about this last uh, week, so I'll run through it relatively quickly. But um, we are. We're hitting the road, um, attending three upcoming conferences around Australia. Now, through the magic of technology uh, and the more basic fact that we're actually recording this on Tuesday night, um, as this episode is released Friday morning, Lisa will actually be in attendance at the Victorian government's Realising the Potential conference where she'll be conducting some interviews for the show. And those interviews will be featured in next week's episode. Are you looking forward to that, Lisa? Oh, I sure am. Yeah, I think we're a bit. Yeah, there's fantastic speakers. I think we're a bit jealous, aren't we, Lamb, of the lineup there? Is the bitterness creeping into my voice? I'm trying my best to keep it out, (laughs) but it's not working. Hang on, can I just remind the two of you that neither of you could go and said that I could? Yeah, the emphasis on neither of us could go, Lisa. We wanted to, (laughs) and we're just what we'd hoped, Lisa, is that of solidarity with your colleagues, you'd go. Actually, do you know what? I can't make it as well. But you didn't, so never mind. <laughs> Look, it's not often that, that, that the Victorian government invites the podcast to actually go and cover a, a conference or that any government does for that matter. You know? no. And we did think it was pretty appropriate that you should go, given that you're always fangirling the Victorian government. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, um, they're just doing such good things in the early education and care space. That is yes. very true. Yeah. Um, then in July, all three of us will be at the 14th Social Justice in Early Childhood Conference recording our first ever live episode, if all the technical gremlins are on our side. Um, that conference is on Saturday, 28th of July. So if you're in Sydney uh, and can make it, we'd love to see you there. And can someone remind us to get a photo of the three of us together? Because we've only got one photo of the three of us together and it's pretty tragic. No, I quite like that photo, but we do need a new one. That's true. Um, And then finally, in October, all three of us will also be uh, together and boarding planes up to Darwin for the Little People Big Dreams conference. And that will be on Saturday, 13th of October. If you didn't have a chance to listen to our last episode, episode 67, um, we chatted with Tina Holton, who's the CEO of Child Australia, who's organising that conference. So we're very excited to be going up for that one. I'm starting to get slightly stressed about the heat. I don't do well with temperatures above about 14. But um, I don't think it's that much hotter up in Darwin, is it? I don't think it's that much. I think it should be fine. Oh, dear. Listen, if I can come down to Canberra in the middle of winter, you can do Darwin in the middle of summer. <laughs> I don't know if they're it's, it's comparable. Even, it's not even summer. It's spring, Liam. You'll be right. Okay. You'll be okay. I'll be fine. What, what can go I'm wrong? I'm sure we'll provide you with a pool and a cocktail and everything will be okay. <laughs> um, so if you're if you're uh, in uh, Victoria, well, if you're in the entire state of Victoria, if you're in Melbourne, in Sydney, or in Darwin for those times we um, we and, and you and you listen and like the show feels free to come up and say hi we're, we're relatively nice people and less grumpy than we seem on the podcast so we'd be very happy to say hi um, but we'll be we'll be taking a quick break and then we'll be back with a special guest uh, Carl Hessian to talk about how the sector and the community are, are preparing for the new childcare package which starts in less than four weeks so stay with us So, 
after almost two years of will-they-won't-they they tension that has enthralled the nation, we're now less than four weeks away from the childcare package coming into effect. It's been like Ross and Rachel, except where that ended with a romantic finale, this will end with children being punished for their parents' laziness and an IT system destroying itself in flames before our very eyes. And you thought the series finale of Lost was bad. With the clock now well and truly ticking, we thought it was time to bring back friend of the podcast and avid childcare package watcher, Carl Hessian, back to the show. Carl, welcome back to the Early Education Show. Thank you, Liam. Hi, Lisa. Hi, Leanne. Hi, so, Carl. Hi, Carl. I feel, I feel back, Carl, pretty much to, we only ever get you on the podcast when we feel like whinging about the childcare package. We'll, we'll get you on to talk about <laughs> something nice one, one week, I promise. Um, no, that's okay. I think it's a, it's a form of group therapy. I think, isn't it? Really? <laughs> yeah, I think. Yeah, I think this is like a therapy session for me. I really enjoy it. But um, so before we go to you, Carl, um, I might. I'm going to um, put put a bit of a challenge to Lisa, um, and this is in the running sheet, Lisa. So you can't say you're not prepared for it. But um, Lisa, in 60 seconds or less, basically, um, for if, if by some mad, crazy idea that no one's either heard of the childcare package or knows very, very little about it, tell us what's happening with the childcare package in 60 seconds or less. The childcare package comes into being on July 2nd. It was um, passed through legislation called the Jobs for Families package, which really tells you all you need to know about, you know, what it has to do with children and early education and care. It puts two previous subsidies into one subsidy and 25% of families will be worse off. Theoretically, the other 75% will be better off. It's based on your income, but it's also got this really nasty bit called the activity test so that you only get as much access to subsidised education and care as you put into society. So if you're a good human being, your child gets, you know, access. If you're not, they don't get as much. God, that was well under six. Was that a prepared statement, Lisa? No, it wasn't. Okay, if I can have a bit more, it's all run by a new computer system, a brand new computer system that maybe possibly, just possibly isn't yet completed. <laughs> and I think we're going we're gonna to circle back a bit later in the discussion and talk specifically about the, the IT challenges. But thanks, Lisa. Look, I, I, if you're listening to this podcast, I, I sincerely doubt that you have never heard of the childcare package and may be actually responsible for implementing it or, or looking at it where you work. Um, but I think we wanted to get back together. We, the, you know, probably the Jobs for Families package and then the childcare package has been, you know, a point of discussion um, since episode one of the podcast when it was just you and me, Lisa, doing episode one. We actually had our first segment was on the the Jobs for Families package. So it feels Does like we. Does that mean we're just boring? Uh, that's one interpretation. I I prefer the term <laughs> maybe consistent or we're we're regularly engaging with the subject. We're, we're now subject matter experts. And if you're a listeners and you listen to all 68 episodes, you are now subject matter experts as well. Congratulations, listeners. Um, but we wanted to. We're obviously as this comes out on Friday, we're less than four weeks away from implementation. So we wanted to touch base at this sort of crucial implementation period and and ask a few questions about how things are going. Do we think the sector's prepared? Do we think families are prepared? Um, and I wanted to start with uh, some data and numbers. So, you know, what do we know about this point in time about July 2? What do we know for sure 
is happening. Um, and I thought I might start with one thing that came out of Senate estimates last week from Minister uh, Education Minister Simon Birmingham, uh, is that we know, as I go to the relevant tweet, um, that as of uh, as of May 31st, so right at the end of May, um, 708,000 families have registered, but 460,000 have not registered. Is that a worrying number a month out? I think it was worrying to Burma because at that same estimates, he did admit that he would have preferred another quarter of a million families to be across the line. What's a quarter of a million between departments and ministers? A lot of families. <laughs> uh, I mean, I guess. I mean, I guess the only real question here is: is do we think all families are going to get over the line by July two? Are no. you asking me that question? <laughs> I'll just chime in with, with um, as I said, I wasn't going to say too much tonight because I'm, I don't feel like I'm a subject matter expert yet. But no, the numbers would tell you that that's not going to happen. And so, what's I think the impact it really on? Depends upon how much um, services do to help their families get over the line and get, you know, um, uh, get do their subsidy application. I really don't think the advertising is helping, though. Up until a few days ago, it was all about, oh, if you want the extra money, you've got to, um, you, you know, like there's extra money for childcare, and if you want part of that, you've got to go on and do this. They've changed it now, so it's more like, um, uh, you know, take a few minutes to update your details. And I don't think that's really clear either. You know, like I wonder when we get to the stage which says you will net not get any childcare subsidies, you will pay full fees unless you do this. I get the sense they're kind of relying on services to, to do that. So as a service provider. So I'm, I'm actually spending uh, this week, as we record this on a Tuesday night, so I'm spending Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday in each of our services for a few hours and talking with families. And when when you put it that bluntly, that does sort of make people step back. So the majority of people that I'd spoken with had already transitioned and our sort of figures but bear that out. But the few I spoke to that hadn't uh, had pretty much said that, Lisa. They said, oh, they didn't realise that the subsidies would just cut off uh, come July. Um, so Carl, I know you work with a number of services in Victoria, what's your? Have you spoken to those services about how they're how, how they're going with their families? How are those? Do those families seem pretty aware of what's happening? Yeah, it's a bit of a bit of a mixed bag, really. Um, and before I go any, go any further, can I just quickly say that my connection's been a little bit shaky, so I haven't heard a lot of what Lisa said in the um, piece right at the top. So if I repeat what she said, then it's uh, <laughs> it's not intentional. Um, the, um, the the awareness for 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 families has been um, uh, pretty good, I suppose, in amongst the cohort of services that I've been working with. But but then again, we've been preparing for this since October last year with communication strategies and letting families know what's coming up and that sort of thing. Um, but I think when you still look at the number of instances where families have gone online to confirm enrolments, for example, and then they've actually disputed them using that new dis disputing mechanism and um, the extra workload that's, that's generated, I think that's caught a lot of services on the back foot. Um, so I think there's a, there is an implementation um, uh, time, there's a, there's a 
the time taken to implement and transition is, I think is far greater than than we'd we'd even anticipated, and um, I think that's that's certainly going to be a lot worse in the next few weeks. So one of the big challenges, apart from the sort of policy and and regulatory and and uh, and challenge and changes to the national not not to the national law but to the uh, to the to the law that underpins the subsidy system, is is just an IT challenge. There's a whole new IT system behind this, as as uh, Lisa mentioned before. Carl, you've been involved in um, in in that sort of process in in behind the scenes for for quite a while now. What are you what are you sort of seeing are the big software IT challenges at the moment? Well, to answer your question indirectly, um, one of the things that every children's service needs to have um, by July the 2nd is a software package that allows them to physically transmit messages and data to the Commonwealth and receive back messages. And at this point in time, none of the uh, 16 providers who are looking to transition have actually completed all of their um, completed all of their tests for registration. So as far as as far as risks go, that's quite a short time frame for every provider, uh, every software provider that is to to get registered, physically deploy a package out into the uh, into the market, train up their customer base, and be able to respond to um, issues and glitches and bugs as, as they arise. Okay. That's scary. Yeah, I mean, it's, I put that out there as sort of the big the big picture, you know, um, point. Because everything else about how aspects from that are going is sort of a um, all, all the weedy detail, which we're happy to, to trawl through. But um, I suppose at this point, the the basic trajectory is that the the legislation was you know passed in um, April last year, received royal assent in April 2017, to come into effect July 2018, and in that time, uh, an entire uh, IT system had to be built, and third-party software packages had to um, uh, develop their own interfaces to meet those specifications and uh, um, understandably the specifications have taken just that bit longer to bear down than I think um, Department of Education Training and DHS would have would have wanted or thought and at this point we're still you know fine-tuning and putting the they're still fine-tuning and putting the finishing touches on um, how they want that to look so that doesn't leave much time right at the end of the whole exercise for uh, software developers to meet the um, to meet the expectations. I've got to say, one of my favourite moments at Senate Estimates last week was when um, one of the bureaucrats was asked whether they uh, whether they were meeting their their deadlines and timetables for all the various parts of the project, and his answer was, uh, "We broadly met all the targets." And I was I, I would love to get a, de- a bureaucratic definition for that term broadly because it's, yeah, the the sense was that the the, the actual correct answer was probably no, um, but you know it's not July yet, so we can say we broadly. Met the deadlines. Now, Carl, I mean the the obvious cynical question here. If we look at the experience of the census, the the National Disability Insurance Agency IT system, um, you know, a whole range of other Centrelink stuff is, is this system going to work on July two? I I don't see that it's going to fall over, and certainly not on July the second. And I I say that because the for software, software developers over the last couple of months have, have already registered and got some functionality ready, which is what you're, what you're referring to there, I think, when you're referring to Senate estimates. So at this point in time, software packages can query and update account details. They can um, query and lodge and update enrollment notices. And I suppose that that enrollment notice functionality is fully one third of the th- three critical functions, the, the ability to 
make sure that um, they're lodged. The second most important ability is to be able to send off session details, and the third is to be able to collect payments back. Um, I think we're never really going to know how the handling of the sessions is going to work until we go live, and that's probably going to be towards the end of that first week when services start to upload all of their, um, their session data. And we've, we've known since the beginning that the, the system has to go from zero to one million um, attendance records pretty much in that first week. And how, that's, how it's going to handle that is anyone's business, uh, anyone's guess, I should say. But I think what it will do is it won't, I don't think it'll just outright crash and be a flop, but I think it will bring to light probably all sorts of um, issues, some, some specific to individual providers um, and some related to the, um, um, the, the, the way the government's developed system themselves. Okay, well, that's, uh, I mean, that's uh, a little more positive than I've heard before, but it, I think, you know, that hadn't actually occurred to me before, which of course isn't, it's not really, you know, 9am on July 2 that's the issue, it's more the end of that first week as as everyone goes through well, the submission process. Yeah, look, I, I, I guess, I would, <laughs> I'd hate to try and sound optimistic about it all. So that was a guarantee, just... everyone. Carl Hessian has just guaranteed <laughs> this childcare subsidy IT system will be running with flying colours on July 2. I think... Let's put, let's put it, put it slightly differently then. Um, <laughs> we've got, we've, we've, for a service to be successful to receive money on behalf of a family, there are three high-level risks that need to be addressed. And we've, we've already started talking about some of these. But that first one is that the service themselves has to get registered and get their approval. If they don't have that, no money comes in. Their families have to go through that entire process. And if they don't do that, no money comes in. And thirdly, they actually physically need to be able to send off that data and get the money back. And so at this point in time, um, I, I can't, I didn't quite hear the figures that, that Lisa had, had chucked out there, but we're talking at least of a third of families still need to go through this, probably somewhere in the order of 10, 15% of services. And every single software provider still needs to be registered for this second lot of functionality. So. You know, you can see there's a spread of risks there. It's, it's not as though everything will stop or, or, or won't work. It's more that maybe 80% of attendances will be fine and, and directors will be tearing their hair out for the remaining 20% trying to figure out what's gone wrong. And against that, trying to understand particular family circumstances about why some families haven't gotten what they thought they would and all that kind of stuff. And that's really going to be a challenge in that second week and going into that third week as well, I would think, uh, especially as services really start to, um, try and understand how the timetable for handling um, attendance submissions, getting payments back, works with the Centrelink fortnight and how it's going to work with their own, say, invoicing cycles. So I think that's probably a good... Think, Carl, there's another whole bunch of things that might happen too in that I'm imagining after about that second week when services send out invoices to people and... The, families discover that their childcare fees have gone from X to Y, there'll be a bit of an uproar. And I think the media will f begin to find stories of, you know, families where their childcare fees had quadrupled and things like that because of um, uh, changes to the rules about special childcare, uh, you know, like instead of special childcare benefit, there'll be at the acts and I don't think as many families will get access to it because some of the programs that are being brought into to this the new subsidy system, like um, 
some of the budget-based funded programs and in-home care programs. I think you'll find that the in-home care programs, sorry, I think you'll find wide variations on fees. And I'm imagining that the media will be looking at those stories and going, what's happened here? Yeah, there's, look, you're, I'm inclined to agree with you, actually, Lisa. Um, my, my thinking is firmly anchored around the kinds of centre-based care services that uh, my customer base and the circles that I move in. I think if I was in family daycare right now, I would be very, very uncomfortable. And you're dead right about budget-based funded services. I, I think one of the most appalling things about the implementation of this policy is trying to bring them into this new framework on the same time frame. Absolutely no reason why they, they couldn't have been migrated a year down the track. Yeah, and that's what it seems like with, you know, like with in-home care as well. Like, why now? Well, I'm, look, I'm sure you're right. I know, I know very, very little about that. Um, so, so I think, I think you did can right. I, can I just read out? Um, a, a, someone just sent me a message on Twitter, and they said, "I've just received confirmation of my future childcare subsidy." Yet two lines later, it states, "If I want to receive the correct amount, I need to go through the same process again." White middle-class PhD candidate who doesn't understand how can anybody get it right? And I think that, you know, like it's very true that if people like this person is struggling, then how are services in lower socioeconomic um, uh, areas with families who are not as computer literate, how is that, how are they going? Yeah, I, I, think, you, I think you did right. And, and we can't underestimate the way in which people learn by doing, you know. And I think that in a perfect world, we would have had a, um, a trial system all predating all of this, where we could actually get a feeling for um, how, speaking for myself, how my software is going to be used by people before it needs to go live. They themselves get a feeling for uh, understanding what their compliance obligations are by actually you know, using that in a trial kind of period. Um, and and that's all completely, you know, missing from this. And so really we're trying to all piece together a whole lot of theory. And the, the theory doesn't really, um, it probably, I should say, probably won't fit the actual uh, the actual practice. And we've seen that in very small ways with as one of the one of the one of the long going points of confusion over the last couple of fortnights, a couple, couple of weeks has been just exactly what um, uh, credentials need to be put against a um, personnel um, a person member when you're applying when you're um, applying them to a service where you actually do need to have these police checks and what, what have you and there's a lot of confusion around that and that's a very very small tangible point so I guess my point simply there was um, the, the, the theory which has been to, um, sold to us as being you know it's a simpler system in, in, in practice has somehow worked out to be a lot more complicated and I still think even with a month a month to go we can't quite see how the pieces are all going to fit together here Sad. That's a bit of a worry. Um, look, you mentioned sort of you know sector preparedness a bit earlier, Carl. So it's probably worth uh, noting that at the time of Senate estimates, so the end of May, twenty percent of services had still not uh, transitioned over and had completed that 
requirement. So that that to me is almost more concerning than than the family numbers. I kind of get that you're always going to have this core contingent of families that no matter what you tell them, they will leave it to the last minute and do a mad scramble at the end. But you know, this is you know services. All services in Australia have to operate as businesses. It it seems a bit worried that obviously there are um, there are services that are just not completing this transition you know what what do we think are some of the barriers to services to transition and uh is this a you know is this a big problem in the sector do we think well, well you're right to identify that it's binary isn't it it's black and white if you're not registered you can't receive money um and i i was i'd be very interested to find out whether this is predominantly that, that sorry the services that haven't transitioned are predominantly in one or two certain um sector types whether they're in I don't know, outside school hours care or, or family day care or centre-based care, because I'd find it very hard to believe that a centre-based care provider um, would have managed to get to this point in time without um, understanding that they needed to to um, to transition. I could but see how other providers... I, I was speaking to a group of services yesterday and some of them said, we don't know if we've transitioned or not. We've tried to go through the process but it just seemed to keep coming at us. And I understand what the, what they have probably done is that they've transitioned um, and completed the transition process, then just kept going, kept using the provider entry point past the point of actual transition. But if services are genuinely trying to do it and are still not clear as to whether they've done it, and other services seem to be having a problem with their software providers in that they're, you know, they're getting the number from the transition process to give to their software providers, but then something happens and it doesn't go any further than that. And I think a lot of the software providers are running desperately short on people to answer phone calls from services. And so I think that some of the the services haven't yet who haven't yet transitioned uh, have tried to but not quite been able to finish the process. Um, absolutely. I agree with everything you've said there. And I, and I suppose I was just making that small that small comment about people not knowing that they need to do it which is part of the unknown and the uncertainty of all of this is, do people actually not know or have they actually attempted? The same goes for families. Have they actually attempted, gone to MyGov and then it's, it's, it's been offline at that particular point in time and sort of thought, oh, I'll come back to it later or something like that, you know? Um, all the, um, Carl, haven't all the software providers are, like, notified all of their services that that's what they need to do? Or is it is it really just up to the service to access the information via all of the channels that aren't already working. Uh, I'm sorry, which bit was that, Leanne? That they need to transition, you mean? That or, they need or... to transition, yeah. Um, I would have, look, I can't speak for all of them, but I would have thought that most of them would have, certainly, if not all of them, yeah, yeah, stayed, stayed, um, stayed close to them. Certainly the biggest providers have. I mean, the communications have been pretty good. All right, unfortunately, um, poor Carl's had been having 
lots of technical difficulties during the record tonight and we finally lost him for good but we really appreciate Carl coming on uh, for the first bit of the discussion anyway but we were soldier on the three of us uh, with a couple of final points um, I think you know Lisa I might go to you first so if for some absolutely insanely bizarre reason you've done nothing to prepare um, and this is you know the first you're vaguely hearing of something called this childcare package um, what are you suggesting people immediately stop doing take their headphones out and go and do right this second um Look, there's two separate things they've got to do. They've got to transition their service to the new um, to the new system. So instead of being, remember the thing called CCMS where you now get your money through? Now there's a new thing called CC, CC, C, CCSS. <laughs> and if you're not, if you haven't done this process called transitioning for that, then you're really stuck. So what that means is you have to, First of all, get yourself a thing called a Proda account um, and then you've got to do the processes that you need to transition. Just Google transitioning to the child, new childcare subsidy and it should take you to the Department of Education site. Yeah. And then that- once you've done that, you've got to help your families get the subsidy and help your families get enough subsidy and help your families get um, additional childcare subsidy if they require it. My biggest problem with all the new acronym soup, which you called it the other day, Lisa, when we were chatting, is that um, because of the new acronyms, it's now a good thing when you give um, a vulnerable child the axe. Yes, it is a good thing. <laughs> it seems thing very weird that we're now spending a lot of our time trying to, trying to give people the axe. I, did, did, I don't like it. Um, <laughs> Now, we've, we've gone for a brave and bold new experiment on the podcast uh, this week. Um, we, we're recording this on a Tuesday night and early this afternoon I put up a... I let people on our Facebook page know that this is what we'd be talking about tonight and said if people had any questions or comments or things they'd like us to discuss, um, we'd be happy to bring them up. So we actually have had a few people come back to us. Uh, Lisa, were there, there were a couple you wanted to tackle, I think, um, weren't there? I'm literally bringing yeah. up the comment on as, as I look now. So someone, um, Jess uh, Jovanovic, um, said, according to recent news reports, about 40% of families have not yet registered for the change. Anecdotally, the families she, speak she speaks to are unaware. What can be done while there's still time to register? I've Look, the thing that I'm suggesting to services that I'm working for is that they have a, a kiosk set up um, where parents sign in, which consists of an iPad or a computer and a director who helps them go on to MyGov, find, retrieves their MyGov um, uh, password if they've lost it, helps them set up a MyGov um, account if they need a new one and helps them do the things they have to do to transition. Some people have come back to me and said that's not our services you know, role, but I think that helping families to stay, you know, to be able to afford to keep their children in education and care is part of every services role. That's what I'd say. <laughs> I think you're right. I think I'm, probably I'm one of those people who sent that to you, Lisa, and you're just being nice and not naming me. But I think we're at the, <laughs> we're at the point now where, look, it, it, it's not... 
so my point of view has just been, well, the sector didn't do this, uh, but neither did families, is the very obvious response to that question. It's not really fair to leave them in the lurch. And as, as always, the families that will be most affected by these changes and the ones who most need to make sure they get as much as they can out of it will be probably the ones who need it the most. So um, there is a there is a... A, an ethical responsibility, I think, on services to ensure they're particularly identifying families that need particular support to do that. Um, the only and thing that's is- what listener Emma Forbes has said, who also said, sorry, I love the show and I listen every week, which I thought was very <laughs> nice. Hi, Emma, we love you too. Um, We're meant to be reading Emma questions said, people um, have, not just uh, compliments about <laughs> ourselves, Lisa. Oh, okay. Sorry, that one just jumped out of me. Um, she said, I'd like to understand further that people in the community that aren't on MyGov or access to the internet and what efforts are the government making to ensure everyone has access to quality early learning? Can well, you are, answer that one, Liam? Well, there, there, are, there are two separate questions there. First, I might let Leanne answer the second question, which is uh, what efforts are the government making sure whatever to the government making to ensure everyone has access to quality early learning. I will take a stab and try and be fair to the government on the first one. So Emma's asking if there are people um, that aren't on MyGov or, or, have, or have access to the internet. My understanding is that there is, and this is based on the Senate estimates hearing, is that the government is planning to do some quite specific targeting of families that they know have not transitioned and will actually be reaching out to them individually now. How many families is that going to be? How many bureaucrats did the Department of Education have lying around, not on coffee breaks to go and get it? I don't know. But if we take them at their word, they are aware of that issue and do have plans to specifically work with those families. That's what they've told us anyway. I thought that meant I was just going to send them another letter. I, I got the sense they were actually going to maybe call people. But again, I guess that relies on contact details being right or who knows. Or people responding to the, to the call. Yeah. Or answering it. <laughs> Leanne, do you want to take a stab at what efforts the government's making to ensure everyone has access to quality early learning? Well, I think if we're talking about the federal government, right now, I don't think that this is their focus. <laughs> I think that their their focus is definitely uh, 100% on the, um, on the new legislation. And, uh, you know, we've still got the... We've still got the um, partnerships agreement running a little, um, but in terms of their thinking on making sure everyone has access to quality early learning, I, I don't think that there many efforts are being dedicated to that right now. And obviously, we need to do everything to keep that at the front of their minds. I think state governments, some state governments are definitely doing that, but if we're talking about the federal government, I don't think that there is there, there is much action in that area. No, can only agree. Dip- diplomatically, listener, listener Cassandra Smith said um, more of a, a comment than a question. She said, you know, there's people without access to the internet, but there's also those that are computer illiterate having to learn all the concepts associated with technology and navigating these websites. And she said she's had to help those kind of families and also those that are illiterate and or have difficulty with reading and writing all extra time for educators and directors you know to help assist these families and i think that that's That's, something that the government you know like didn't um or just took as a given that services Mm. would be the ones that would help families do it which 
which kind of allows us to circle back to the other part of Emma's question as well. And when, when you were talking before about, you know, directors standing in, well, Liam, you've, you've been doing this um, on behalf of your organisation, but in a lot of services, directors obviously would be standing in foyers or trying to, to um, you know, get their families signed up. And that's the distraction from from the quality early learning right there is that that I think that in some ways the, the government's making sure that children don't have access to quality early learning because <laughs> they're so distracted by this process. And I was thinking about how much time is being dedicated, how much administrative time is being dedicated to this process that's really detracting from from early childhood education. That's right. We're basically forcing yep. educators to become Centrelink customer support officers mm. for a month. And I'm not yeah. sure if that's entirely in the best interest of children. No. No. Um, then our last question was from Melissa Woodhouse and she said, apparently the window for families who are current users of services but have not yet completed um, processes with MyGov has degre decreased again. Was going to be six months, then three months, now it's only 28 days. Um, she said that there was a six-month grace period for currently enrolled families. And she says that her software provider was surprised when they found out about the change. Now, that's not making a lot of sense to me because there was never a grace period. Um, you've only always, since the legislation has been passed, had a four-week period where you could um, backdate an enrolment, unlike the current system when you can kind of do it for forever. Um, so I'm not sure where that period of a, a grace period came from. Does it mean anything to you, Liam? Um, the only thing I thought as I was reading it, and I, was, I wasn't entirely sure what that was about as well, was, was this something to do, didn't the government announce quite a while ago, earlier this year, that um, there would be a a longer period of time post the implementation date where specific changes could be made if, if bookings were wrong or if families had estimated incorrectly or I had a feeling there was maybe something around uh, that. I didn't, I've never heard that. Okay. We can maybe have a look at that and, and, and either add that into the Facebook comment or, or come back to it next week. Um, but I think I think we'll, we'll wrap up the discussion there. We want to thank Carl for the for the time he could uh, briefly come with us. He soldiered on through some very very technical difficulties. But um, we'll be we'll take a quick break and then come back with. Liam, uh, just before you do that, can I just give an overall comment that it just keeps striking me as really really strange? As Carl said, this system, this computer system, has to go from going processing no transactions, no attendances, to one million attendances, you know, like in the first week. All of this has been built around subsidies to parents, of which there's 1.1 million of them who use um, early education and care services. How much easier, how much simpler would it have been if we didn't have subsidies to parents? if we in fact had subsidies to 15, the 15,000 services that we have. We've all just accepted that a parent subsidy is the way to go, but it's actually, it's madness. You know, like imagine if schools got their funding, oh. you know, on a, on a very complicated 
formula like this. It's nuts. Yeah. I think I've said no no country in the world makes it as complicated for a child to access early education as Australia does. Yep. Yep. Not good for children. Nope. All right. Well, we've... Uh, we're going to wrap it up there and we're actually going to wrap up the episode there as well. So thanks to uh, Lisa and Leanne for chatting again and thanks again to Carl for, for the time he could join us. We hope services are feeling relatively well prepared. If you are struggling, this is at the point of time where please uh, don't take our advice on specific issues. Make sure you're going to education.gov.au forward slash childcare um, or contacting Centrelink or working with your software provider. It is really important at this point of time that you get this right for your children and families and for yourself as well. Uh, but we'll be back with you with a new episode next week so until then it's goodbye from me and from me and from me you have been listening to the early education show hosted by lisa bryant leanne gibbs and leah mcnicholas and produced by leah mcnicholas Find us online at earlyeducationshow.com and while you're there, it would be great if you could hit the support the show tab where you can become a patron of the show and support us for as little as $1 a month. We really appreciate it. Get in touch with us at earlyedushow at gmail.com or on Facebook and Twitter with the username earlyedushow. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on the Apple Podcast Store. This really helps other people find the show. See you next time.